welcome to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and joining me once again this week, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, Garrett. Uh, good to be back. Uh, busy week last week with uh, a bunch of games, and uh, not always pretty. Not all is pretty indeed. That might be an understatement looking at the last couple of games the Penguins have played, and we will dive right into it now. Let's get straight into our recap segment here. Uh, the the Penguins kicked off the month of April, April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2021, with a really nice 4-1 to win against the Boston Bruins. Uh, the scoring, uh, st- scoring gets started in the second period with Zach Aston Reese getting his eighth goal of the season at the 201 mark of the second period. Mike Matheson getting his third goal of the season at the 1312 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh out to a two nothing lead here. They would maintain that two nothing lead well into the third period, right around the w- midway point of the final period of play. Brad Marchand would get the Bruins on the board and getting his 14th goal of the season, making it a 2-1 to Pittsburgh lead. However, Jason Zucker would finally find his name back on the score sheet, getting his fifth goal of the season at the 13.07 mark of the third. Pittsburgh now maintaining a two-goal lead once again, and at the 17.51 mark of the third period, Jake Gensel getting his 15th, ga- uh, 15th goal of the season with assists coming from Chris Letang and Sidney Crosby, rounding out, like I said, a 4-1 to Pittsburgh win. Uh, Robbie, looking at the stats on the score sheet here, the Bruins dominated shots on goal, face-off percentage. They had fewer penalty minutes. They led in the hits category. They led in the blocks category. And they had two fewer giveaways than the Penguins did. However, the Penguins come away with a three-goal, four-to-one win here uh, to improve to 24-11-2. What are your thoughts looking back at this game as the Penguins kicked off what looks to be a very important month of April. You you take wins any way you can get them in Boston, especially the Penguins who struggled there mightily uh, the past few years. Uh, this was uh, their first win in TD Garden at, with Mike Sullivan as head coach, and he's been a, he's been the head Penguins head coach uh, for over this is since 2015, so over five years now, uh, which is really saying something. Thank goodness they never met him in the playoffs or anything, but overall, you have to like. Anytime you can walk out of there with two points, you got to take it, uh, take what you can get. And the Penguins did that that on on, um, on April Fool's evening. Uh, just a really good win. Even after they uh, gave up the goal to Marshand, they responded right away with uh, the Zucker goal to to bring them uh, the, to restore the two goal lead. So that's a, that's one of those situations where it can kind of fall apart, even le- leading to nothing. So it felt it looked good for them to uh, get that win, kind of get that monkey off their back. Uh, and Boston's a team that's behind them in the in the standings right now, so it widened that gap a little bit. And uh, it's just an important two points. I said last week that I thought they needed to get a split out of that, and they got the first one out of the way really quick. Before we move on to our next game, just give another shout-out to Casey DeSmith here. Uh, making 30 saves on 31 shots for a 968 save percentage. Uh, certainly the way that DeSmith has been playing up until this game, and we'll get to the uh, the, the games that followed this game on April 1st momentarily, but uh, another nice shout-out for another great performance by uh, Casey DeSmith as well. Moving to a- the April 3rd game now, another game against the Bruins. And, uh, Robbie, this game was crazy, to put it mildly. 12 combined goals 
the Penguins would find themselves on the losing end of this battle against the Bruins, losing this game by a score of 7-5. to five. So let's get through this crazy scoring recap here. Mark Jankowski, of all players, gets a scoring going for the Penguins, his third goal of the season at the 324 mark of the first period. And things would remain a one nothing game until the second period, 11 seconds into the second period, where Boston finds the equalizer. Patrice Bergeron gets his 11th goal of the season uh, within the opening minute of the second period. And again, a roughly 30 seconds later, David Pasternak gives the Bruins a two to one lead. Jake Gensel would even the game out at two, getting his 16th goal of the season at the 245 mark of the second period. Jared McCann would give the Penguins the lead on the power play, making it a three to two game at the 511 mark of the second period. However, Brad Marchand would not be denied once again, getting his 15th goal of the season here, making it a 3-3 three to three game with five minutes to go in the second period. David Krejci on the power play, getting his second goal of the season, making it a 3-4 to four Boston lead with about 90 seconds to go before the second period expired. And Brad Marchand again on the score sheet, this time his 16th goal with 20 seconds to go before the end of the second period. Boston leads by a score of five to three through two periods of play here heading into the third period. Now Cody CC looks, looks to chip away at the lead here, getting his third goal of the season at the four thirty eight mark. Uh, maybe the Penguins have a little bit of life here. However, David Pasternak gets another goal, his 16th of the season at the 13 28 mark. Boston restores a two to go, two goal lead here, making the score six to four. Sidney Crosby, again, trying to chip away at the lead, trying to find another equalizer here, gets a shorthanded goal. Uh, his 15th of the season again. Boston still leads 6-5, to five, and Brad Marchand would put the finishing touches on the score sheet here, his 17th goal of the season, and Boston wins by a score of 7-5 to five here. Really crazy game, like I prefaced this, Robbie. Both teams end up with 28, shot, 28 shots on goal. The Bruins uh, take the face-off percentage. Both teams convert one time on the power play. Uh, out of three total attempts, uh, boy, boy, Robbie, what do you what, what what can you say when both teams combine for for twelve goals here, and the Penguins somehow find themselves on the losing uh, losing end of this, and and certainly we're not going to be done talking about another high scoring affair here momentarily, but uh, what what do you have to say in this second game the Penguins played against the Bruins here? Yeah, I mean the defense is it just. Again, some you just have games like this sometimes, and credit the offense. They kept chipping away. They did lead uh, in the as late as the second period. They were up three two at one point, and it just seemed like they one they just let Boston kind of pull away a little bit, and then anytime they got within one, they just let up a uh, they let Boston answer them right back, and they couldn't quite get to that pull it even again and kind of change the complexion of the game. They always were. Uh, one down after they had that 3-2 lead, and they just could never just get even and kind of just put Boston back on their heels. Boston just simply went out, played their game, responded, and they got the win, and they pulled away at the win. And uh, Boston's still a good team. Boston's probably going to be a playoff team. If you want to get out of the East Eastern Division into the Final Four there, you're going to probably have to beat Boston or just hope somebody knocks them off. So Boston's a really good good hockey team, but... Yeah, just sometimes you have games like this happen. Boston, they have the the guns, uh, but the Penguins credit the offense. They never gave up. They never 
uh, took the they kept fighting they kept pushing back uh, and it just wasn't enough and hey, sometimes games like that happen and uh credit credit to the penguins indeed robbie and also credit to you know we, we talk about the bruins and we look at the bruins and how they're constructed roster wise and i know a lot of people uh especially after this game and looking at the sum of the two games that they recently played here, uh, a lot of people said that uh, Boston really looks like a one-team line with uh, with Pasternak, Marshan, Krejci, and Bergeron. Uh, you look at the score line, the stat line here. David Pasternak gets two goals and an assist for three points. Marshan obviously with the hat trick throws in an assist for a four-point night. Robbie, like you said, uh, the, the Bruins probably going to be a playoff team, all things considered, at the end of the day when the dust is settled. And even if you believe that the, the, the Bruins have a, a, a lack of depth there down the rest of their lineup, that first line, as evident here uh, in this game, that first line can take over games on the score sheet and make the opposition uh, make the opposition pay, as evidenced by Marshan's night and Pasternak's night with the combined five goals between these two players. Yeah, I mean, that top line is they're going to kill you. And if you make mistakes, if you turn the puck over, or if you're just having an off day, they're going to make you pay. And that's what they did. I mean, it says it right there. You have Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, all can score, all can contribute. You make one mistake, they're going to make you pay for it. And that's what happened. And we'll move to the most recent game that the Penguins played, April 6th. Uh, They started another two-game series against the New York Rangers. And, Boy, Robbie, if you thought the 7-5 to loss was uh, a crazy occurrence, look, you may look no further than this game against the Rangers and you think to yourself, boy, how how did the Penguins lose this game in the fashion in which they did? So let's start the scoring recap here. Colin Blackwell gets his 10th goal of the season. New York gets out to a one nothing lead uh, just about 90 seconds into the first period. Mika Zibanejad gets his 13th goal of the season at the 7.28 mark. Now it's 2 nothing Rangers. Artemi Panarin looks to be in solid form once again, getting his 12th goal of the season on the power play. All of a sudden, New York is out to a three-goal advantage really at the midway point of the first period. Jared McCann on the power play tries to chip in, chip away at this lead, gets his 10th goal of the season, makes it a 3-1 to one New York advantage. And uh, right at the end of the first period, Ryan Strom on the power play for the New York Rangers with 20 seconds to go before time expires, gets his 12th goal of the season, makes it a three-goal lead for the Rangers once again. Heading into the second period, number one overall draft pick in the 2020 NHL draft, Alexis Lafreniere gets his sixth goal of the season and makes it a 5-1 to one Rangers lead. Mike Matheson would answer uh, at the 12:36 mark of the second period to uh, make it a 5-2 to two Rangers lead. That would be all the scoring you'd see in the second period. Heading into the third period now, things get a little bit insane. Capo Caco gets his sixth goal of the season on the power play. The Rangers lead 6-2. to two. Jake Gensel answers back at the 8:04 mark. Uh, gets his 17th goal of the season, and the Rangers still lead by three goals. They lead 6-3. to three. Adam Fox gets a shorthanded goal at the midway point of the third period, and now the Rangers lead by a score of 7-3. to three. They score the touchdown and kick the extra point. It is good. Pavel Buchnevich gets his 15th goal of the season at the midway point of the third period. New York leads by a score of 8-3, to three, and Brian Dumoulin would be the last player to nab a goal in this contest 
getting his first goal of the season to make the final score eight to four. The New York Rangers win. And Robbie, looking at the score, the uh, the other stats here, as we have for the previous two games that we recapped, the Pittsburgh Penguins outshot the New York Rangers by 20 shots. They had 45 shots on goal, and they win 59% of their face-offs. They go one for three on the power play. But somehow, Robbie, this team loses by a score of eight to four. Uh, it doesn't help when you dig yourself a hole as quickly as they did in the first period. That's always going to be difficult for any team, even if you are the Pittsburgh Penguins this year. And, you know, they have been nicknamed the comeback kids for all of the all of the comebacks they had earlier on in the season. But uh, what can you say about this game for the Penguins? Is it is it bad goaltending? Is it bad defense? What do you make of this game from April 6th against the New York Rangers? It kind of goes back to what I said about the boss game. You just have games like this, and yeah, it looks ugly. The scoreline looks ugly. But it goes back to how that game started. They got behind early, and you're kind of just playing. You don't like to be playing catch-up from from almost the the opening face-off, and that's kind of what the Penguins were doing in this game. Again, anytime you score four goals, odds are you're going to win a game. And this just happened to be one of the nights that the other team had four-plus goals. And... You just kind of take take your lumps. Yeah, it looks ugly coming off the Boston game. And with the way your defense has been playing the last month, how good they had been, uh, it just kind of looks – it kind of puts a stain on the uh, – maybe on the eyes of some fans. But overall, uh, just one of those games. And uh, so far this Thursday night here, they are up one nothing. So it looks like they've at least put that behind them and they were playing well as we record this episode. But – yeah, anytime, anytime you score four goals, you got to hope you're going to win. And sometimes it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't happen. And Tristan Jari was making his first start after being out for a couple of days. It, it, it just you, maybe some rust there. The defense wasn't playing great. Just a bad overall night. But hey, you just kind of take your lumps and you look to move on to the next one. And it, the good thing about the way this season's set up is most of the time you're going to get a chance to respond against the exact same team just a few nights later. So they got that shot and now they're playing. They look like they're playing pretty good as we record this, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of, it's disappointing and there's some, some things that maybe they showed that night that throw some worry in there, but overall uh, you just kind of move on. And uh, general manager, Ron Hextall was quoted, uh, I believe in the Pittsburgh post Gazette uh, when I was, while I was uh, creating a Penn's points post for Pennsburg. And he was quoted as saying that he wasn't going to look at this two-game sample size in which the Penguins gave up a combined 15 goals. He wasn't going to look at that, and and he wasn't going to use that as uh, uh, something to overreact to. I think uh, very clearly, and I think, Robbie, you and I would agree that since Ron Hextall and Brian Burke have have uh, come into the Penguins organization, the, 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 the team has really turned things around since the departure of Jim Rutherford. And so... Robbie, my question to you is this for this week's episode. Looking at these recent defensive miscues, you look at the scoreline. You, you obviously you never want to see 15 combined goals given up in 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 two straight games. Uh, so my question to you is this: Do you think that a Do you think this is something to be worried about long term, or do you think that this is something like you were kind of alluding to there that you're going to have games like this throughout the course of the season, no matter who you're playing? But if you do believe that these defensive miscues are a thing to be concerned about, what would you attribute uh, giving up 
a combined 15 goals in two games too? Would you contribute contribute it to a lack of maybe proper defensive positioning? Would you contribute it to, like you said, Tristan Jari trying to shake off rust? Both Jari and DeSmith uh, weren't giving the team really solid goaltending for for uh, those couple of games there? Would it be a combination of defense and goaltending? So, Robbie, I'd really like to get your thoughts on, do you think this will be a little blip on the radar in the grand scheme of things, or do you think there are things here to be concerned about as we move towards the finish line of the regular season? I think the concern is some of the holes were showing up that we had seen earlier in the year with the defense. Defense isn't perfect. Uh, there's still some holes. You just need to kind of hope they work out. Maybe you mesh a little bit more. I'm not sure exactly uh, what the whole answer is. But, yeah, I mean, the bad goaltending, when you score that many goals, you kind of hope that maybe your goalie comes up with a save uh, just to back up the offense. That can be kind of deflating. As for the lack of defense positioning, I just think it's it, that's bad coaching or if it's just the players – I mean, the guys that they have out there aren't – they're not all top-tier guys. I mean, Cody Cece's having a great year, but he's also playing third-line minutes. He's being sheltered. Mike Matheson is what – he is what he is. He's more of an offensive player. Now, Latang and Dumoulin, yeah, Latang's going to have those nights, obviously. We've all seen that. We've He's been here long enough to know that for every flash of brilliance he has, he's going to turn around and have a night or two nights where you're just going to be like, what are you doing? Uh, Marino's still learning, and Marcus Pedersen is just—he's just having a rough year. So maybe you take a, take a shot and mix up those, uh, mixing a, a new face there. But again, it's tough to tough to say if it was a long-term issue or if it was just something that uh, showed up for those two nights. Again, yeah, and I'd, I'd like to reiterate too—I don't think there's a lot of things to take away from uh, such a small sample size here. Uh, over the course of two games where, you know, they give up that many goals. So, uh, yeah, moving forward, obviously uh, there are still more pieces of the puzzle to be put into place as we are uh, approaching the end of the regular season. But just something, I think uh, it was something to keep an eye on. Like you said, some some of the issues that the team was facing kind of crept their way back into their play from earlier parts of the season. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they remedy those issues. And like you had mentioned before, uh, as we record this episode, the Penguins currently lead the Rangers uh, by a score of one to nothing. So we'll see how the Penguins close out that game as well. Uh, But Robbie, we will move into our mailbag segment here. And uh, I can't believe this, Robbie. We have eight submissions for this mail for this week's mailbag yes. and i think i think i counted we have eight submissions from eight different different twitter users but i think total question wise we have 11 uh, 11 different questions from all of the twitter users that submitted uh, questions for this week's mailbag so uh, this might be a hefty mailbag so we'll, we'll try and see if we can uh, maybe speed things up a little bit, try and give our best answers as possible. But for first-time listeners or long-time listeners, if you want to get in on this action uh, and contribute to an incredibly fun segment we have here on the podcast, you can do so by following along at our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week we'll send out a, a tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag segment. Uh, we love getting all sorts of crazy, wacky, fun, hockey or non-hockey-related questions. And Robbie, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at this week's mailbag but uh, it's pretty full with some pretty 
uh, off the wall questions, something, some, some questions that I would have never even thought about thinking myself. So, uh, like always, Robbie, you'll get first crack at the mailbag this week. Uh, this week's first question comes from longtime listener and longtime question submitter Cole Del Vecchio. He wants to know what fictional hockey player would have the biggest impact on this current Penguins roster? These can be players from movies, television shows, cartoons, etc. Oh, this is a really good question. Uh, well, I'm a Johnstown guy, so I guess I'm going to have to go to uh, Slapshot uh, since it was filmed here in Johnstown. Hockey now is played completely different than the way they played it when that movie was filmed, so maybe that's not the best uh, the best um, comparison, but maybe I'll go, maybe go with the Mighty Ducks. I think we had a Mighty Ducks question last week or two weeks yeah. ago. I guess Charlie Conway from the Mighty Ducks series. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a leader. He was a goal scorer. He was kind of the heart of that team and maybe you just throw a guy like in there he's a he's a character guy uh, you put him in this lineup and you he gets you some goals he gets you some points and he, he he has the leadership ability he's a he's a he's a veteran player he's been around the block so maybe you get him in there and he gets you some uh some good leadership and kind of helps pick this team up it's not that they need i mean you look at the roster the penguins don't need a lot of offense they already have weapons galore so maybe you just get a character guy in there that uh, can throw some leadership in. He's won. He's he's won in the past. He's been he's been on the bad side. He's been on the good side. Uh, he's represented his country. So maybe uh, a, a guy like Charlie Conway just kind of bring him in, and he adds some heart to that team. I think too. Uh, if I could interject interject here for oh, another, yeah. have, have you seen the the movie Goon? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I know a lot of people uh, yearn for the, the 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 play styles of yesteryear. So I, for me, I think to to satisfy everybody, maybe put Doug Glatt on the fourth line. All right. <laughs> just uh, just a little bit of that physical presence, I, I, and I know people would be satisfied to have a kind of player to to have in their bottom six like that. Uh, so I- I'll say Doug Glatt just to satisfy the masses here and add a little bit of snarl to that Penguins lineup. Yes. So I like that one. Okay. So question number two, uh, this one will be for Garrett. This one comes from commander Kern. Not much to say until the trade deadline. And we see what Hextall is doing. I feel like we're waiting. We're in waiting mode to see who gets healthy before the playoffs. Do you see is that something that, uh, you agree with? Yeah, I, I agree with it. I wrote in a recent Pens Points uh, when looking, um, you know, and I've talked about it before on the podcast as well, the, the two different styles that Ron Hextall and Jim Rutherford had are polar opposites at this point. Uh, I think if, if Jim Rutherford were still in charge, I think we would have had at least one, if not two, maybe three trades already based on the the up-and-down nature of any typical Penguin season. Uh, but you're seeing it now, and I think people are, some fans are maybe starting to get a little bit frustrated at the lack of action that uh, they believe Hextall should be taking. And uh, I, I'm, I think you have to start to come to grips with the fact that the more methodical slow burn approach that Hextall takes is just something that you're going to have to get used to. Uh, And, you know, it doesn't help that this season, 
being as unique as it is compared to other traditional 82 game seasons with a traditional trade deadline, everything is the way it should be. That also plays into why you're not seeing as many trades. And we haven't even really, we haven't reached the trade deadline yet. The trade deadline is April 12th. So we'll see how much action we get on deadline day. But uh, yeah, we're definitely in waiting mode for the time being. And we're just hoping that, Guys like Teddy Bluger and Evgeny Malkin, who are progressing, they are skating on the ice. Uh, and uh, so we just have to hope that they get back into the lineup sooner rather than later. All right. Question number three comes from the Battle on the Boards podcast with Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari having hopefully off games back to back. Who would you start next game if you are Mike Sullivan? I stick with Jari. I think he's your number one guy. I don't see any reason to go. And DeSmith is a plenty capable backup, but unless the wheels completely fall off Tristan Jari, I'm playing Tristan Jari because you paid him all the money. You shipped out Matt Murray. You did all this stuff to pretty much say, Hey, Tristan, you're the guy. So if you're going to tell him all that stuff in the off season, there's no reason to go back on it. Now he recovered from a slow start. He's been, pretty much lights out outside of the game against the Rangers, unless something completely falls apart. You're right. You're right. Jari uh, through the rest of the season in the playoffs, not saying that Smith won't get starts, but Tristan Jari is your number one guy. All right. Next question comes from Brendan and it's not, Oh no, no, sorry. From Fry time. This is the fourth question. Is there any chance at all Matheson as in Mike Matheson could get a look as a winger? Uh, this question has been thrown around. I've seen it on social media quite a few times. And uh, for those interested, Mike Matheson has uh, six points in his last four games, dating back to March 29th, most recently having a goal and an assist in the April 6th game against the Rangers. He has 11 points in 31 games so far this year. He has a plus five. So I know a lot of people, and Robbie, you even you even talked about it earlier on in this episode of the podcast that Mike Matheson isn't your traditional stay-at-home defenseman. He uh, would he what would it be beneficial for the Penguins to maybe give him a look on the wing, given that so many offensive-minded uh, players are out right now? And I personally would not be opposed to doing so. However. I know the kind of coach Mike Sullivan is. I feel like he likes to play things and roll lines in a more traditional manner. Uh, It's not very often you see defensemen playing out of position, uh, playing on the wing. I don't think Mike Sullivan, if he hasn't already experimented with it, I don't think he's going to start now, which is why I don't think it's going to happen unless things get so incredibly dire that uh, they, they need bodies. Maybe a couple of players get injured during the course of one game and they put Matheson on the wing there. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't see Matheson shifting to the wing. And with that, I think you're just going to have to take the ups and downs that he provides you as uh, an offensive-minded defenseman. Question number five comes from Brendan. Uh, no question this week, but I would just like you to talk about Philip Gustafson in Ottawa and his hot start. Uh, I hated the Derek Broussard trade back then because I thought Gustafson would have been the next starter after Marc-Andre Fleury. He took lots of time in the AHL to develop, but looks good so far. P.S. Very disappointed in Garrett about his lack of Crosby jersey. We should crowdfund for you. <laughs> yeah, so I've just been kind of slightly paying attention to Philip Gustafson 
up in Ottawa. I saw that he made his debut a couple weeks ago, and he's I've been playing well. And again, goalies are kind of a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get. It's always kind of a shot in the dark when you draft one, which is why you don't see them very often drafted in the in the early rounds unless they're just viewed as a can't miss prospect. And at the time of that trade, that would have been what twenty seventeen. No, he was 2018, I 2018? think, because I can't 2018 or 2019, whatever year it was. And, again, the Penguins were attempting to do something that hadn't been done since in, like, 40 years, trying to win three Stanley Cups in a row. So I can't – it's hard to blame Rutherford for that trade. It just, it just didn't work, but in the end it turned into Jared McCann. I'm confused. I can't even remember when that trade was now. But anyway – Again, the Penguins, until they're not, they're going to be in win-now mode. Until Crosby, Malkin, and those guys are gone, they're going to be in win-now. And that's what the Broussard trade was. Yeah, it cost you Philip Gustafson. Jari was two or three years younger than he was than he is now. He's not a very old goaltender. So you still had him in the system. I just don't necessarily agree with that it's that big of a whiff. And Jari looks good. Gossison's in, well, I mean, it's Ottawa, so it's hard to say how good of a situation it is, but he's getting his shot that he may have never gotten in Pittsburgh. So it might just be something like that. It worked out for both parties. Question number six comes from Penn's Hen. Could someone please tell me what it takes to ban a dangerous player like Tom Wilson from playing hockey permanently? A Penguin fan wants to know. Thanks. This is uh, this is an entertaining question uh, just because it's it's asked by a Penguins fan and it's going to be answered by two Penguins fans. Um, but realistically, I know a lot of Penguins fans and other fans around the league are very sick and tired of, of Tom Wilson's antics. And um, whether you classify him as an incredibly dirty player or just a hard-nosed player is up to you. Uh, I don't think he's... He, he, He's never going, I don't think he's ever going to be banned from the NHL. I think the only way a player gets banned would have to be for, uh, I don't know, Robbie, substance abuse or, or, or I, I don't know. He's not going to get banned for what he does on the ice unless he does something so extreme and morbid like killing somebody on the ice. I, I, I know. Th- go ahead. I think, yeah, I think you have to separate this between, like, you have to separate off ice stuff and on ice stuff because I mean, something could happen off ice that he could get, obviously could get banned from the league, something truly heinous substance abuse. Even, I mean, even you've had guys that have had substance abuse problems. Bobby Ryan was in rehab and he's back in the NHL. Uh, Mike Richards had an issue, but he kept playing. So I don't think, I think if you're looking at this from an on ice perspective, it'd have to be something to a level of like a Marty McSorley slashing Donald Brashear in the head. And even that didn't get him, banned from the NHL so I I, I I don't know if there is a limit and I hope to the point that now that like given the precedence of the past we never find out what the limit is obviously because it could be something completely heinous and perhaps even lethal so let's hope we never get to that point uh, surely but I mean if you're looking for just on ice stuff I, I don't know if you can get banned from the NHL because I don't there's no precedent for it uh, and there's been some pretty bad acts in the past. Yeah, that's something that uh, really you'd have to go to the extreme of the extremes to see 
if it, I know a lot of people don't like Tom Wilson for what he does on the ice and against the Penguins, no less. But yeah, something so so extreme would have to be one of the only scenarios in which he uh, is forced off the ice for good. Question number seven comes from Brian and Robbie. This is loaded because Brian asked. <laughs> three questions for you so we'll start off with question number one who thought it was a good idea to bring in ron hextall he's only good at the draft and you guys have no draft picks question number two when did the pens start the rebuild and question number three is it more depressing knowing malkin has a half season left of being decent before becoming a massive healthy scratch cap hit or that you let rutherford trade back to back first plus matt murray before retiring Robbie I'll let you take all three questions here and I'll pop in if you need me for something but all right you got a loaded question here I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this guy is not a Penguins fan um just by the way he talks but so question one uh who thought it was a good idea to bring in Ron Hextall as general manager that is going to go with uh Mario Lemieux him and Lemieux are close I think that he was always the top choice uh, he has experience. He has a lot of what you see at the Flyers today, even if they are struggling, a lot of the pieces they put on the ice, a lot of their good pieces are Ron Hextall draft picks. Didn't always turn out perfect in Philadelphia, and maybe it won't work in Pittsburgh, but him and Lemieux are close. I have to think that this was in the works within minutes of Jim Rutherford stepping down. So it's going to be Lemieux. I mean, everything that gets onto this franchise goes through him. He's the one that signs the checks. So it was Mario signing off on this one. When did the Pens start the rebuild? Uh, not until 87 and 71 are retired. Um, though I think you can kind of quasi-rebuild with them still around. And I think in a way that uh, you might see Ron Hextall try as soon as uh, this draft. They got to restock that farm system, and I think I don't know if he's going to make anything too shrewd that would be able to get him a first round pick back for this this summer. But I think you'll see some of the pieces of a quote unquote rebuild uh, start to maybe even take place this summer. But a full rebuild where it's tear it all down, there it's never going to happen until eighty seven and seventy one are gone. Uh, it's just not going to happen. They're just not going to uh, tear it all down and waste what good years they have left with those two and question three is it more depressing knowing Malkin has half a season left of being decent before becoming a massive healthy scratch cap hit or that y'all let Rutherford trade back-to-back first plus Matt Murray before retiring uh the Matt Murray thing really hard to be mad about because Tristan Jari is playing much better than Matt Murray is this season and there was always something missing with Murray after those two Stanley Cups and overall, I think that is the right decision. Uh, the back-to-back first, Casper uh, Kapanen has been living up to his billing when he's healthy. So overall, can't be too mad about that trade. Maybe you try to get away with not giving up a first-round pick in that trade. Whatever it happens, uh, but again, next year you'll have you won't have one this year because of Minnesota taking back that first-round pick for the Zucker trade. And you can't really complain much about Jason Zucker either because he's been. Uh, really good for the Penguins. He's a very good part of that second line with Evgeny Malkin. Uh, they seem to work together well when they're together. So overall, uh, and with as in with Rutherford retiring, it's obviously the timing's odd, but 
hey, stuff happens, and in the long run, maybe it's better the Penguins that happened to the Penguins. So a lot there, obviously, but yeah. So question eight comes from Bals. Um, do you do we have a GM or is he out to lunch? I that's all it says. I don't have any context on that. Uh, I, I believe the Penguins have a general manager. I believe his name is Ron Hextall. Yes, I, I believe he. Correct me if I'm wrong, Robbie. I think he's been the general manager for roughly two months now. So, I believe so. So, uh, to answer your question very directly, yes, we do have a general manager. This is what I was referring to earlier. And I, I don't want to take this out directly on this individual for submitting this question because this I feel like this is a much larger sentiment of a portion of the Penguins fan base is people want moves, they want trades, they want these transactions, they and they've become so accustomed to the way Jim Rutherford operates and how frequently he made trade trades here that people are just are not used to the way another general general manager does business leading up to the trade deadline. So again, I, I don't want to make it sound like that I am targeting uh, this person for sending in this question because I know a lot of other Penguins fans seem frustrated on social media because we've, it, it seems like there have there either there are moves out there that Hextall isn't making or, you know, maybe Hextall just hasn't found the right player or whatever the case may be. Robbie, I, I don't know what else what else I, I can say or you can say other than you you just have to get used to this different philosophy of a different person running this team. Yeah, I think it's kind of it's kind of weird because you have to understand that by this time Rutherford, if he was still in charge, probably would have made a trade. Whether the trade would have been good or not, who knows? But Rutherford was very ahead of the game in making deals, and I think a lot of Penguins fans are just thinking that, well, where are all the trades at? And Ron, this is a different regime now. And they're not going to operate the exact same as Jim Rutherford did. And remember, Jim Rutherford didn't have anybody really over him. Uh, Brian Burke's in there now. Brian Burke has a say. Mario respects Brian Burke. Uh, he respects Ron Hextall. So this is going to be a – it's not always going to be the same process. And just because Rutherford – or not Rutherford, Hextall isn't making trades doesn't necessarily mean he's not doing his job. Because I, we've said in at least a couple episodes now that he doesn't need to go in and force a trade. He doesn't need to just make a trade to make a trade. He needs – I'd like to see somebody that has some – some Term. Some term work on the contract. That can help at least next season. No point in giving away something just for a rental for a couple weeks. And there's never any guarantees in hockey, but I'd like to see something that works better next year, that helps next year, that's a piece down the road. It doesn't have to be necessarily a prospect or anything, but somebody that can just come in and help this year, but then really help them rebuild for next year. All righty, Robbie. It, uh, it was a loaded mailbag. We got through all of it. Again, thank you to everyone who submitted questions for this week's mailbag. All of your questions are massively appreciated. We, we love uh, we love having this segment and, and, and voicing all of our crazy wacky answers for your crazy wacky questions but uh robbie uh do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up this episode of the podcast nope i have nothing uh to wrap up but it's another good episode and here's to hoping that we have a bunch of victories to recap next week yes sir well for robbie i have been garrett behanna thank you so much for listening to this episode of the pensburg podcast and we will see you next week 